Wrath and anger are hateful things, yet the sinner hugs them tight. Wrath and anger are hateful things, yet the sinner hugs them tight. Isn't that an evocative image we heard at the beginning of the first reading? Wrath and anger are described as hateful, and yet the sinner is unable to help himself. He hugs them tight. It's the nature of these passions, the nature of these attachments. It's the nature of wrath and anger itself, which are a kind of counter-ordering, an alternative to God's own love, to God's own peace, that they can't help but fix our attentions and draw us away. The sinner hugs them to himself because they seize control of the person. It's like an opposite of grace. It's a contrary to the way that God's love seizes us, draws us closer to him, draws us into communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then with our brothers and sisters. Wrath and anger, out of control, out of right ordering, out of their proper relation, seize us and keep us from seeing the truth. Keep us from knowing ourselves. Keep us from seeing reality as it truly is. And we can't help ourselves. We hug them to ourselves. We become embraced by them. Anyone who's been obsessed with something that upsets them, that nags at them, that bothers them, and... I would like to suggest that every one of us has something or someone for whom this is true will know the truth of this. Wrath and anger are hateful things, yet the sinner hugs them to himself. The truth is, our entire relationship with God depends upon how we relate to one another. And that's a scary thing. A frightening prospect, considering just how easily our passions get out of control. How easily we surrender to this alternative ordering of our relationships with one another. Consider the gospel today. Everything about the way we relate to each other must be founded on the first principle that we are sinners and that we have received grace unmerited, undeservedly. A debtor was brought before him who owed him a huge amount and he had no way of paying it back. No way of paying it back. This describes each of our relationship with God. And yet we have been forgiven. We receive his mercy, and this mercy has deep implications for the way in which we are to love. 
because we must love our brothers and sisters in view of this grace received. We must love them in God and because of God. And that's not a cheap love. Any less than the grace received is a cheap grace. This entire parable is a frightening thing because the wrath, the anger described, aren't just road rage. They aren't just a spiteful word. They aren't just the flick of a match on the kindling of frustration. Instead, it describes something with which we're all too familiar. The fact that we can easily surrender to a distortion of the truth about our neighbor when we appoint ourselves the judges of the truth. Now, of course, we must, we must see things as they are. But the difficulty is we're prone to distort things according to our own passions, according to our own wrath, our own anger, our own frustrations, our own hurt feelings, our own sense of grievance. And this is the wound of sin in each of us. Wrath and anger are hateful things, yet the sinner hugs them to himself because we can't help ourselves. It's not enjoyable. It's not pleasant. And yet, it's addictive. It's addictive. Let me give an example. Because I've lived no other meaningful life, let me use an example from religious life. Brother Paul should be nervous right now. I hope he is. When you enter the novitiate, you might think, I'm leaving behind all of these worldly passions, all of these earthly things, and I'm attaining unto a higher level. I'll finally be around other people who want to pray. I'll finally be around other people who want to only engage in sacred study and in preaching. Finally, I can get beyond all these petty qualities in myself. Finally, I'll be able to move beyond. False. Because the thing is, the novitiate and much of religious life, like any life that involves commitment and living in close quarters with other people, involves being placed in a pressure cooker of relationship with other people. And you quickly realize how distorted our views of one another can be. You sit in choir, looking across anger tinting your vision. Why does that jerk have to turn the pages of his breviary so loudly? <laughs> he could do it more quietly, can't he? And he becomes the enemy of your existence, the force of all evil, the concentration of all that is wicked and depraved. The order's very existence might might be shaken by the presence of this jerk sitting in choir. Now, you might think that this is an exaggeration, and lo and behold, it is. But it's an exaggeration that is based upon the reality. The reality of how distorted our views become. Because this person, this person is reduced, is reduced in truth to my own frustrations, 
to my own anger, to my own wrath, and I'm unable to see him as he is, and I'm unable to see myself as I am. I shudder to even ask the question of whether married couples ever experience such a thing, perish the thought. But the truth is, the truth is, when you live in close quarters with one another, you experience the tearing away of the kind of buffers that prevent you from realizing this about yourself, of seeing in yourself the possibility that, yes, wrath and anger may be hateful things, yet you hug them to yourselves whenever the chips are down, whenever you're challenged, whenever things don't go your way. How easy it is to surrender the path of peace and charity in favor of something that you know isn't as satisfying, but involves much more immediately gratifying self-assertion. The truth is, the truth is, our entire life with Christ, our entire communion with him, depends upon not isolating our love of God and for God to church on Sunday or to private prayer with him, but to recognize that in fact, the ways in which God is drawing us closer to himself, the ways in which his grace is at work in our lives often come through very flawed and broken instruments. People who are not perfect, people like Brother Paul, who might tax your very patience to the outer limit and yet are occasions of grace because they draw you to reflect on the fact that you have received God's mercy. And so has he. And so have we all. It doesn't mean that you give up on the truth. It doesn't mean that you give up consequent anger, which is a reflection of something in which you see real injustice. And you ought to be angry. But it's anger that's in right proportion to reason. Anger that doesn't lose control but motivates you to do the right and the just thing that doesn't cause you to lose your inner peace. Rather, we should always be drawn when we see things that can cause us to lose our tranquility, to lose our peace, to turn to the cross and to say, Lord, you gave yourself even for this guy, even for this person. Help me to see in him in her, in this situation, something that can draw me closer to you and then guide me in your prudence, in your wisdom, how I ought to behave. In receiving communion, in drawing close to him in prayer, may we receive that peace of heart to always hug close to the cross, to draw close to his concord and not to our own unruly passion.